tradition. Our confession verse comes from Proverbs 28, verse 13. Solomon writes, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Might I maybe add the thoughts, will not have victory? Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Again, can I take liberty and maybe do a quick butoh paraphrase? Whoever conceals his transgressions will not have victory, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain victory. Amen. Let's spend a few moments going before the Lord, searching our hearts, confessing sins, and asking to be cleansed beneath the cleansing flood. And then I'll lead us in a word of public prayer. Father, as we've sung, we have victory in Jesus. And yet, oftentimes we recognize that we're not living a victorious life. And Father, I I know in my own life, oftentimes that's due to sin. So Father, we come before you this morning as a people seeking your forgiveness for our failures, for our shortcomings, whether they be intentional or not. Father, that you'd cleanse us through your blood beneath that cleansing flood as your redeemed people. Bless us through this time of worship and study of your word. I pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. In our Christian lives, we uh, no doubt are told that we will suffer trials and tribulations. In fact, from that, we might ask, several questions. You might ask them to yourselves privately, maybe even sometimes audibly, and you should not be ashamed of these questions, but they may sound like this. Why do we have to go through these things? Or you may say, where is God when when I'm going through these trials? You probably have felt that way. Or, Or when will these stop? Or you might say, what should the expected end result The fact is, is as odd as it might sound, God places these trials and tribulations our way, yes, to strengthen us. And that may seem odd to you, but he doesn't give us more than we can handle through Christ, who strengthens us, Paul says in Philippians 4.13. The fact remains that through those trials and temptations and tribulations, God is in fact telling us that we need to be prepared for warfare, but also recognizing the end result, which is what we're talking about this morning. Paul spends much of an entire chapter in Ephesians 6 talking about what we know as the believer's armor when he describes how our loins were girt about with truth how we have on the breastplate of righteousness, how our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
how we need to have the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and, and the sword of the Spirit. We, we have all these spiritual weapons at our disposal, yet too many of us are losing the battle. Too many of us are facing constant defeat. Now ask this logically. Do you truly believe God only allows us or allows in our lives those things that he gives us the strength to overcome, which we'll be talking about, and you're in the midst of them and you're not having victory, whose fault is that? Did God in his sovereignty go, oops, I didn't know Michael couldn't handle that. I messed up. No. It's me. I'm the one that erred. Yet too many of us are, are not having victory. If, if I were to tell you today that the victory has already been won, would you say amen to that? Because it has been. The victory has been won. But let, let, me, let me ask you this, and don't respond again audibly or by a show of hands, but do you feel today like a victorious Christian? Again, oftentimes we feel too much defeated. Now, we know that in time... We will have the victory. We believe that. But many of us are living a life much like, if I can bring to bear the discussion of it, a football game. Whether it's your Cincinnati Bengals or my New England Patriots. We're struggling. But let's just assume for the sake of argument we're both having better years. But the reality is this, we feel oftentimes like we're in a close football game and there's three seconds left on the clock and we are losing, the Caruso Saints are losing 20 to 18 with three seconds left. And with those three seconds left, yes, he comes up to kick that last field goal, folks. There he is, Pastor Chris Theobald lined up, ready to go for that 50-yard field goal, three seconds on the clock, the snap, the kick, it's good and we win. Amen. That's how we're living our lives. We win, but we just barely made it by the skin of our teeth. That was a close one. Really? Is that what God has in store for us as believers in Christ? That's not what he wants. This is not a close one, folks. The battle has already been won. All we're doing is playing the game. It's sort of like watching Tebow where you just put the rewind and watch it all over. You know what's going to happen, and we're going to win. And it's not close. It's for those that are from up north, that blue state, it's it's the Buckeyes wiping out Michigan State. All right, I'm done with the football analogy. What I want to talk to you this morning, message is entitled, More Than Conquerors, and then subtitled, Are You Living the Victorious Christian Life? I trust you found your way to Romans chapter 8. If you are able, one last time, would you join me in standing in the honor of reading of God's word? I'm going to read verses 35 through 39 of Romans chapter 8. 
35 through 39. I can find it in my text. I apologize. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, these are rhetorical questions. My son dealt with this a couple weeks ago. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, empower me through your Holy Spirit to proclaim your truth. And Father, use your word to prick hearts, to help us to better understand the victory that's already been won. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. We'll be looking at three issues this morning with regard to this text on victory. I want to talk about the foundation of being more than conquerors, the fact that we are more than conquerors, and then I'll include about the freedom in being more than conquerors. Uh, our key verse for the message this morning will, in fact, be verse 37. Let me read that to you again. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, within that key verse we'll find a key word. Now, it'll be translated as words. I'll explain that more in a moment. But the key phrase is more than conquerors. So the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is the foundation for being more than conquerors. What do we base that on? What's the foundation of the fact that we are more than conquerors? Paul starts off by asking a very important key question. In verse 35, when he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, now ponder that just for a moment. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If there's anything or anyone, that would be known. But the question is, is there anything? And again, not to steal from him, but Hobson, my son, dealt with that two weeks ago in a, an overview. But this is a rhetorical question. Uh, talking about God's love. Now, you would expect the word there about the love of Christ is that very powerful Greek word for love, the strongest word that you know in the New Testament, which is what Greek word? Agape, or the verb is agapao, it's self-sacrificing love. That's the love that, that he's talking about here. Who shall separate us from the agape love of Christ? It's a permanent love that can never be separated. And, and Paul goes further with a question, but again, it's rhetorical. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the list could go on, but he lists specifically seven items here. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, each of these words means something different. I am not going to go into any detail about the specific meanings of those words 
because here's what I'm getting at. Here's what Paul's getting at. No matter what difficulty you're thinking of, if it's not in this list of seven, you could put dot, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No matter what it is, friend, nothing can separate you as a believer from the love of Christ. Amen? Nothing. Now remember, I purposely used the phrase as believers, because if you're here this morning live or listening, and you have not claimed the blood of Christ, you're not included in this, and I'll explain why momentarily. This is reserved for believers. The foundation for us being more than conquerors is that God, through his power and through his will, enables us to have victory. But that does not mean it's without tragedy. You follow? In fact, victory is sweeter after so many tragedies. I said the last time of reference to football, I do have one more since we're talking Big Ten football. Penn State, for the first time in history, went 0-5. And they won their first game. They're out of the running for everything, even Grandma's Award, whatever that might look like. But when they won their first game, the celebration was sweet because victory is always greatest after consistent defeats. There's always that sense of, finally, we did it. Paul's not suggesting, he's making it very clear that to get to victory, you must first understand defeat. In fact, I'll talk more about that at the end of the message. But contrary to what many believe, it's this victory is not because of our ability. It's not because you're a better position player or a better church member or you read your Bible. It's not based on what your abilities are, nor is it based on the, the good old days where some of us that are older talk about the, the good old days. Why, when I was your age, or the good old days. Do these sound like good times? Tribulation, distress, persecution. Do those sound like good times? Now, look at verse 36 for a moment as Paul goes on. As it is written... For your sake, believer, for the believer's sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are, not we were, not we will be, not we could be, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. These are not pleasant days. Now listen, we are in some of the weirdest times that any of us have ever seen, if not all of us. I mean, this, this is just, who would have thought even a year ago that we'd be in the midst of this pandemic? I mean, it doesn't matter where you stand with regard to this or that, protect yourself. I've told some folks going down to Gatlinburg, I'm, Mr. Zuckerberg, you can take this down after I'm finished. You warned him the other week, so this is my chance. I was in Gatlinburg with 37 people in a house together, no masks. Now, I am cautious. I was talking to some about being cautious. Now, I don't mean to make light of that at all because I, I don't have an immune system. You all know that because of my kidney transplant. But I don't know how many days we have left. I don't know how many days I have left. I had an opportunity to be with 
10 of my 11 children, 17 of my 19 children, and I was not letting it go away. I could care what order you placed on me. There, I got it out. I want to make sure Mr. DeWine isn't back there. It's all right. I live in Kentucky. Maybe Brashear is back there. I don't even have that in my notes. I don't even know where I am. Reality is, this is expected of us as believers, these difficult times. And in reality, they seemingly are getting more difficult. There's, there are many that are just, especially on the what we would call the conservative side of Christianity with regard to the president-elect. Listen, we really have nothing to fear, right? We're not to fear man. I know things look like they can get scared, but God has allowed this. He has. And we may not like it. I, I, I may not like it, but the reality is my God is sovereign. And he's going to see believers through this. Trust me. Because there's hope. There's hope. And then Paul goes on to respond to this. So not only do we see the foundation of being more than conquerors about all that's going on, second, we see the fact that we are more than conquerors. Again, verse 7 that we identified as the key verse. I want to look at that again. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul answers this question and says, no way, absolutely not. There's nothing that can separate us in all these things. And again, he refers to seven things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Listen, and I'm not going to do all of them. In tribulation, believer, saint, Russo person, and all in tribulation, you know what? We're more than conquerors. Amen? In distress. Any distress going in your life right now? Some of you, yes. Some of you, a little. Some of you, a lot. You know what? In distress, guess what? You're more than conquerors. You know what else? In persecution. You being persecuted? I shared with folks, I lost literally business friends who rebuked me for being in Gatlinburg uh, with my family because of COVID. And, and I understand their position. I'm not going to argue with them. And they unfriended me, but somebody already hit the nail on the head when they said, well, they really weren't a friend. Now, that, to me, I'm using that as an example of persecution. That's a poor example because that's not really true persecution. But the reality is this. In persecution, guess what? We're more than conquerors. Amen? This is not a could be, nor is it a should be, and it is. But yet we're not living that way. In the persecution that you're going through right now, whether it's COVID-related, job-related, family-related, health-related. We've got folks with back issues, headaches, struggles. Listen, we're told we are more than conquerors. Now, I told you before that the key verse was verse 37. I did say the key word is that phrase, more than conquerors. The reason I said key word is in the Greek, it is one simple Greek word. It's the Greek word, now, that's made up of a compound of two words, kuper, which actually means above or beyond. The easiest way I remember that in Greek class is I took the word kuper and I added an S in front of it, got rid of the S, and I just called it 
super. In fact, in Greek, it's the letters U-P-E-R. It's called a breathing mark, which makes the sound H. But it looks like just the word physically, to us, it looks like the word uper, add an S, and it's super. So think of that just for a second. And the second word is actually the noun is the Greek word nike. Do you maybe hear anything in that word nike? Or let me change the pronunciation a slight bit by what some people might say when they see it in English because it's spelled N-I-K-E. And it's pronounced by most people Nike, who was the Greek god of victory. Oh, victory in Nike. No. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me and you to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Paul takes that Greek God. They, remember, he's writing to converted Romans. This is the book of Romans. For what God do you think they worship more than any other God? Nike. And Paul says, and he makes up this word for believers. You are super Nike, super conquerors. He could have just said Nike, but he goes above and beyond. Why? Well, I think part of that is that same root word for Nike we see in 1 John 5, 4, when John writes this, for everyone who has been born of God, not some, not preachers who have been born of God, because so many of them haven't been. For, you didn't catch that, did you? For everyone who has been born of God, what? Overcomes the world. How many believers? Everyone overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. That same verb, Nike, is translated here, overcomes. What a concept. Victory and overcoming. Now, the very next verse in 1 John 5 is verse 5, where John says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, overcoming, being victorious in the spiritual sense is reserved for believers in Jesus Christ. And again, this in context appears to be a promise. Again, but some are not sensing that victory. And oftentimes the response, even maybe in, by counselors or even by preachers, sometimes you may hear counsel that sounds like this. Oh, it's because you just don't have enough faith. I'm going to submit to you this morning, this has nothing to do with the quantity of your faith, but with the, thank you, Robert, quality. He's, not, he's helping me out. Caleb does that in Sunday school, too. The quality of your faith. Well, say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, let me, let me do a, a quick test here. By a show of hands, 
How many of you today, and I'm not going to try to, I'm not even going to spend time looking, but just by a brief show of hands, how many of you here today believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Raise your hand. That's what I expected. So there's the faith. You believe he's the Son of God. Now, if I were to then ask you to raise your hands, and I won't, then the question might sound like this. How many of you today feel like you're having a tremendous, victorious week or day or month or year? How did you feel this past week? Yet the reality is we can feel victorious because we are super conquerors. It's not the quantity of our faith. It's the quality. That's why Paul in a later text will refer to the measure of faith. Ephesians 3.20 Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Many believe this actually to be a circular letter to a lot of different churches. It doesn't matter, but he says this. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. More abundantly. He doesn't just do what you ask. He does more abundantly than we ask or think. We're not just conquerors. That's why Paul didn't just say, Nike, we are super conquerors. Literally. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, and remember the church at Corinth was really a struggling church spiritually. We refer to them as the carnal Christians. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but there's that small little word that we love as preachers. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? He gives us the victory. Did you catch that? It goes back to our hymn that we just sang, Victory in Jesus. It's not something that we create. It's not coming up with the best play in the playbook. It's simply following the instructions of the master because he gives us the victory. And he gives you the victory. In fact, the reality is, in truth, you don't even have to struggle for it. Yet at times, I know I do because of my flesh. In fact, the reality is this. The, vic the response or the responsibility for victory isn't even mine. It's not even yours. It's not you coming up with a strategy. It's not you coming up with a game plan or the best plays in the playbook. It's you listening to the master. In fact, the same thing goes true of a, a young man. Story goes, a young teenage boy, maybe a young adult, all of his surrounding soldiers wanted nothing to do with this other army. Their main reason is a 
the biggest soldier in that other army stood some ten feet tall. He was a giant of a man, and nobody wanted to go to battle. They'd all tried, and they'd been defeated time and time again. So one day this young man says, I'll do it. And as recorded in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, says, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. Here's what he says. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David to Goliath. David, as a young man, knew that it was the quality of his faith, not the quantity. And we need to have that same quality after after all this. The reality is this, with Christ's death on the cross, he, he did not die for us to live defeated lives. And trust me, that's easier said than done. I mean, probably in the last couple months, uh, just being honest with you, there were just some days I have felt more defeated than not. Uh, the last couple, they're still trying to regulate this new medication. And my, if I showed you the monitor that I have attached to me, it keeps going up and down. And the sad part is I allow that to control me emotionally up and down. And what's sadder is I've even allowed that to control me spiritually. Woe is me. Hogwash. The victory is mine. It's already there. I don't have to do anything, monitor or no monitor. The foundation of being more than conquerors is based on the battle has already been won. The fact is, is that God provides us the victory through Christ. Then last is the freedom in being more than conquerors. Verses 38 and 39, Paul says this, For I am sure that neither death, bad news, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and since in case he missed something, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, that's true freedom. Amen? That's the freedom of being more than conquerors. Why do we have freedom? Because we have the victory. I think it was Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart, right? Freedom. Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Again, his second, some might say, third letter to the church at Corinth. We know it as 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Again, it's important to look at the original language there because that phrase always leads us in triumphal procession. One, two, three, four, six words in Greek is just one word. I, I really prefer this verse here, how it reads in the King James, which is this, which always causes us to triumph. Now, more accurately is the phrase, 
leads us in triumphal procession. But the reality is this, most of us have no idea what he means when he talks about triumphal procession. And yet we are named after this process. Because the process is called the Caruso March. The Proclaim of Victory March is what it's called. That's triumphal procession. The Greek word, while I talked about the Caruso March, the Greek word here is triambuanti. I'll say that fast seven times. Actually, don't. I'm afraid how that might come out. Triambuanti is the word. It's a reminder of who is in control. Now, here's the reality. He's writing to the church at Rome. We know the historical time frame. Who's in charge? The Roman Empire. And basically, the reality is this. They were known for their victories. They were a mighty army. Nobody could come close to their strength back in those days. That's why the Jews, they wanted their Messiah to be king to conquer who? The Roman Empire. That's how powerful they were. They knew how to have victory. They would have these Caruso marches where they would proclaim their victory. And here's what would happen. They would send out a young man on horseback, much like what we think of today with the story of Paul Revere in New England. God's country, of course. Is that And Paul Revere would ride through the street saying, what? The British are coming. Now, that was a, a, a warning. But the Romans would do something similar. They would send a rider into town announcing victory. Caruso, victory has come. And the Romans would line the streets like a parade, like, the, like 1975 Cincinnati Reds beating my Red Sox in the World Series where they lined the streets of Cincinnati to welcome home the victors, the Caruso March. But the Romans did a little bit different because, they, you see, they would wipe out the enemy, all except the commanding officers of the opposing army. You see, they would take those commanding officers and they would literally handcuff them, chain them, to the chariot of the winning commanding general of the Roman army. For the sake of parading them out of humility, everyone else is dead. These are the commanding officers being marched in to the, being chained to the chariot of the opposing army. While their horses are drawing them in, they're being hit, hit, they're chained. While they're being mocked by those in the street yelling, Caruso, victory is ours. Paul is describing that triumphal procession. That's the Greek word, triambulanti, a time of celebration beyond imagination. And recognizing, they start off with, with the incest, with the high priests, they are the leaders of their Roman practices, musicians playing their songs, gold-plated chariots, and announcing the victory. But back to verse 14, as we think that now in context, always leads us 
and triumphal procession or always causes us to triumph. Uh, here's the key to that. God and God alone causes you and I to triumph as we allow him, as we submit to his leadership. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but simply because that's what Christ does for his own. In fact, it's written in what's called the present active, which he continuously causes us to triumph. In other words, we ought to feel victorious far more than we feel defeated. But I know the reality of that sometimes is not true. And I say that from experience. I've been there. And we need to understand the consequences. Back in World War II, General Jonathan M. Wainwright was leading American forces. He was in charge of the Philippine Islands. And on May 6, 1942, he surrenders as it looks like there's defeat. Captured by the Japanese, he's held prisoner for three and a half years. Despite being ill-treated, in fact, he would earn the name Skinny if you were to look him up on the Internet, General John, Jonathan M. Wainwright, you'd see how thin he had become. He was under the command of a guy named Patton in the Army. But he never lost hope despite his dwindling health. Soon, three and a half years later, the Americans would gain control, and on August 16, 1945, he is not only released, but he's also rescued by American forces, and there's a time of gathering, and he's brought back to meet with the commander of the opposing army. He steps off the plane, very frail, and he says these words, my commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief. I'm in control now. Friends, I'm going to submit to you, just like the story of the defeated generals of the opposing army, just like Cap General Jonathan M. Wainwright, and as I've given reference to before, the only way, listen, this is primarily now to those of you that have not trusted Christ as your Savior, the only way to truly understand victory is to first be conquered. The only way. You gotta get chained to the chariot. That's it. Humble yourself, strap yourself to that chariot, give in to all things, acknowledge defeat, and say, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And then you can become conquered and be super Nico. You want to feel victorious? Friend, you're here in person. You're listening through Facebook Live. If you've never allowed Jesus Christ to conquer your life, today's the day to do that. Believer, if you're living too much in defeat, Yes, you may have sensed and felt that being conquered, but it sort of drifted away. 
come back to the commanding general. Acknowledge humility, true humility, that you need to be reconquered. Whether that's coming to the altar, whether that's where you're seated, whether it's talking to Pastor Chris or myself, one way or another, acknowledge defeat. Either defeat as an unbeliever giving your life to Jesus Christ, or defeat as a believer who has given in to the ways of this world and allow Christ to give you his victory, that you might sing with us victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth and its power. Father, now as the praise team prepares to come, Lord, as you prepare our hearts, might we respond to your call. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And as Pastor Chris comes up as well, I want you to consider again, believer, I don't know what struggles you may be going through. Maybe there's a need for you to share something with us, maybe just to come to the altar. Do come. Unbeliever, you've heard this message. You've heard the warning. It only ends in two ways. You're either conquered or you become a conqueror through Christ. And so he gives the victory. You can't do it on your own. No matter how hard you try, that includes coming to church every Sunday, reading your Bible every day. That doesn't cut it if you're not claimed by the blood of Christ. So let's stand together as the praise team leads us.